Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now let's get to the more centralized focus of today. The text, the word of God. And we'll be coming from... Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, as we continue our time in our church and our sermon series, Be the Church. And it reads, about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angels told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed. And he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first And second guard, they came to the iron gate that led into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grass and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda uh, came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. She kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. 
after Herod had searched and did not find him, he, in, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, as we get into our time of worshiping through the word, I do want to take a moment just to worship for a few more seconds in singing. Um, so Wayne, I'm going to ask you to come up real quick. Uh, this is a song that's been kind of just ministering to my heart all week, and I think it's a great way to move into prayer. But I just want to sing a couple stanzas from this song. It says, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry While all others thou art calling Do not pass me by I'm singing Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry, while all others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Lord, that is our cry to you. Do not pass us by in this moment. Send your spirit. Send your presence. Send your glory, Lord. Empower your people for this day and age where so many are clamoring for power. To be in power, you empower your people so that we will carry out your mission in the earth. As I stand here, I am a willing vessel. And Father, if you do not move in this place, I stand here and it is purposeless. But you are a God who promised that if we cry out to you, you are prone to listen. You give your ear to the broken and you draw near to us. Let us be broken for you, Father. Let us be broken for your glory on the earth. Let us be broken for your presence at this moment. Let us long to see you move. We need you, Jesus. We need your presence. We need your kingdom to come in on earth for our earth is so broken without your presence. I pray for this time as we dive into the word, Father, that you would meet us here, that you would not pass us by, but you would empower your word to empower your saints to go forth and do what you have called us to do, to be your people in this city, in this earth, to use us for your glory. Father, I pray that I decrease, you increase, that I do not get up here to put on a performance, but I get up here to just declare, thus saith the Lord. I need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. 
Hear our cries, Lord. Sing your wonderful son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our sermon today is called In Power or Empowered. Um, this week, I had the privilege of meeting, uh, I told you earlier about this, uh, a gentleman who started a, uh, a seminary in Uganda. This brother's name is David. I'm going to give you a quick brief from his bio and then tell you some of the stories that he told me. See, David is married to Gloria and has five beautiful daughters and one son, Nancy, Kathy, Marklin, Ruth, Taylor, Harmony, and Mike. He's a graduate of Global Theological Seminary in Jinja, Uganda. He was pushed out of his home of Sudan during the civil wars that lasted from 1983 to 2005. David began planting churches in northern Uganda in the 1900s, I mean the 1990s. He started as someone who was a part of Evange Cube. A tra- uh, he was a trainer in 2004 and with an organization called E3 and other partner ministries. Um, He quickly moved into the national director role in 2005, and in 2007, he helped found Northeast Africa Theological Seminary in Koja Kiji, South Sudan. In October 2012, he helped launch Empower One as the African Director. Matter of fact, we have a, a picture of him. You can throw the picture of David up real quick. This is the brother I got to sit down with this week. He was here for a few days uh, in the States trying to tell people about what they, with the work that's going on in Uganda and Sudan. And he told us about uh, Sudan, which happens to be right now a Muslim-ran country, how he has been training up missionaries and training up church planners, and they started a seminary under a tree. Just three brothers that he said they believe Jesus, they believe his word, and he said for the next three months, they just start equipping him and saying, we want to see the gospel spread in our tribes. We want to see the gospel spread in our nations. And he said there was one man in particular who after three months, he said, David, I can't sit here and sit on this anymore. I must go back. He said, What do you mean? He said, I must go back and tell people about Jesus. I need to see the church grow. I need to see people come to find life. And he said, at this time, Sudan, if you don't know much about Sudan, Sudan is a persecuted nation and uh, they are it's dangerous to even profess to be a Christian in this nation. He said, "Uh, if you go back, what if they capture you? He said, If I go and I die, I die. But if I don't die, I'll come back and I'll see you. So David said, brother, we be with you. But he was saying at that time, the telephone, uh, they weren't able to communicate back and forth because the telephones weren't as advanced as they are now. This was back in 2010. And this brother left and went to Sudan. And he said for three to four months, he didn't know what happened to this brother. And finally, he got a phone call, and his brother said, David, I need to get back. I have to come back. And he said, what is wrong? He said, we have to get out of this country. We have to get out of this country. And David said, okay, well, he, raised, he started calling people to raise some money to try to figure out how to get the man out. The man said, that's not enough. And finally, through a, a couple of events, he got enough money to get this brother out of Sudan and brought him back to Uganda. And David said, as he was looking out, he looked 
up and he saw this man coming with 25 other men who said, we come to prepare to plant more churches in Sudan. And at that moment, David's like, we don't have the resources or the power. We don't have nothing for these men. So he said, we just start having more services around a tree and training them. Now, all this is happening, and you can look up uh, the, his, the past 10 years of Sudan, but it's been a really rough place for Christians because this is a place where the Taliban had, has come in and been killing people for the, the name of Jesus, killing people who profess the name of Jesus. David said many of those men he sent back, and they went, and he said, just pray for us. Pray for us. And he said, I, I, I'm sad to tell you, two or three of the brothers died in imprisonment. Now, over the past three years, the government has opened up and actually has become, after a, the assassination of the Sudan president, the government has now opened up to allow Christians to come in and missionaries to come in. But yet it's still a hard place where persecution has taken place. But the thing that just stood out to me is David never said, Listen, I need the Americans to figure out how to fight these people or stand in the gap or go and fight the people in power so we can figure out how to get the gospel in. No, he said, I need y'all to pray to the one who empowers his saints. I need y'all to pray to the one who can change nations. We need your prayers. I was I was really awestruck at the fact that usually when you have missionaries come in and tell these kind of stories, the next thing is, this is how much you can give. It's all right. I mean, it's, you, it's, it's understandable. That's usually where these stories come from. This is how much you can give. But his next thing is, no, we don't want you just to write a check. We actually want you to come. Worship with our brothers and sisters. Know them. Be known by them. Allow them to come and allow them to pray for you and you pray with them. Come and help them who are pretty illiterate understand some more of the Bible. He said, that's actually the thing we want more than your checks. We want to give them a connection. We want to connect them with the greater body. We want them to feel hope. Family, as I was sitting listening to David, I was just thinking, how different is the story of, of Christians in America? We are people who say, this is my rights. I'm going to fight for my rights. And how dare anybody impede on my rights? Where these people said, no, we don't have rights. We just go to the one who has all power. They're not looking to be in power, but they are trusting in the prayers of the saints and saying the one who empowers is changing all things. I think there's a couple things we can learn from them. Are we too busy fighting to be in power? To be dominant, to, to show off how strong we are? Or do, are we trusting in the one who's truly strong? who truly says he fights all of our battles. And I thank God that we were born in America, but sometimes it does make it harder for us to believe that he is a great and powerful king because we see power as what we can control, what we can handle. Today in our text, we see what happens when someone is in power trying to consolidate their power 
yet when the church turns to the one who truly empowers Starting off in verses 1 in chapter 12, we hear about this king. It says about the time King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. So to understand who King Herod is, this right here is King Herod Agrippa I. He is the great-grandson, I mean, he is the grandson of King Herod the Great. If you are not familiar with King Herod the Great, King Herod the Great was the man who reigned during the time when Jesus was born. And you could hear a little bit about his story in Matthew chapter 2. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read a couple of the verses. Here was a man who wanted to consolidate his power. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east came, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. King uh, Herod the Great, in the Gospel of Matthew, was a man who wanted to be known as great. He wanted to consolidate all his power. And then he had this brother, well, he had a son who was the uncle of King Herod Agrippa, and that was King Herod Treachera, which was the man who beheaded John the Baptist because his power was challenged. So right now, the King, uh, king Herod Agrippa I, he is known. He comes from a lineage of people who are always trying to consolidate their power, and he's doing this First and foremost, so he can control the Jews. Listen to verse 3 in Acts chapter 12. It says, when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. So he knew doing, he was now doing everything to gain favor with the Jews. So he found it politically expedient to arrest Christians and to execute James and the brother of John. And John, this man was just following in the footsteps of his grandfather and his uncle. He was a man who was all trying to gain power. He wanted to stay in power. He wanted to stay in control. And he didn't want to see anybody who opposed it. And these Christians at this time were opposing his power. Not because they were <laughs> they were preaching about a new political power, a new kingdom, but they were preaching about a better kingdom. A better kingdom that would change everything. And not only were they preaching about it, but they were living a, a life in such a way that people's lives were literally affected. In his kingdom, he was seeing the poor taken care of. He was seeing the widows being taken care of. He was seeing the needy being taken care of. He was seeing the hill literally being healed. He was being seen, excuse me, sick, being healed. This man wanted to be in power, and at this moment he realized 
his power was limited. Y'all do understand the powers of this world are very limited. Every political power of this world is limited. Church, why do we continue to look to this world to fix the problems of this world? Why do we continue to look to the government officials of this world to fix the problems? And I'm not saying we should not be involved with government, but we should not look to them to say they're all powerful. The church at that moment, they saw what was happening. They saw what was going on. They didn't run to King Herod and say, change your mind. Fight back. They didn't tell Peter, you got to fight against those guys. They they didn't raise up an army, which they could have. Remember, right now the church is about 10,000 deep. No. Jump down to verse 5. Look what they did. So Peter, while he was taken to prison, the church was fervently praying. They were fervently praying to God for him. These people did not see King Herod and say, we have to overthrow King Herod because he's the one in power. No, they said, actually, we know a better king. We know a better one we can turn to. I wonder if they were reminded of the story in the book of Daniel. The, de- the testimony of what happened in Daniel. If you don't mind, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Let's see if it can spark your memory. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar at this time was in power. And he was telling everyone to bow to him, to, to bring to him all the glory. And there was three Hebrew boys that said, no, I'm not going to bow to your statue. I'm not going to bow to you. And when their life was threatened, when their life was threatened, this is their response to King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as a king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Family, if persecution was to truly hit our land, would that be our testimony? That we have a God that can Oh, that will overthrow this nation. That we have a God that will overthrow all nations. That we have a God who will turn all situations around and will take care of his people. But even if he decides it's our time, we won't bow down to their gods. We won't bow down to them. We have a king that's truly in power. Would that be our testimony? I think the early church thought that would be the testimony. We have a king who can deliver. We have a king who may deliver, who will deliver. We can pray to him. And even if he doesn't respond how we want him to respond, he's still a king that's worthy of our worship. We will not bow to their idols. We will not bow to their gold statues. This whole time while the King Herod's trying to be the one in power, and the church is running to the one who gives true power. I was wondering, so what is going on with Peter? 
But let's look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, talking about Peter, that very night, Peter was bound with two chains. So they just showing how Peter at this moment can't go nowhere. He, it looks hopeless for him. Yet we find Peter, it says, he was sleeping. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't know about y'all. When, when situations look bleak, when the life, if everything looks like it's about to fall apart, it's hard for me to sleep. When I'm stressing, it's hard for your boy to sleep. I, I tell you right now, there's times when I'm sitting at, at home and I'm thinking about this church plan. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how this is going. It's hard for me to sleep. But at this moment, Peter's life is maybe taken from him. Everything might fall apart. He was asleep. He was resting. I wonder if that moment Peter remembered the time when the winds were blowing and the sails were coming and a storm was going and the disciples were all on this boat and they were terrified what was about to happen. And when they went to find Jesus, they found him sleeping. I wonder if at this moment Peter was like, I know who I serve and I'm going to trust him. And I'm just going to imitate him. And in my stressful moments and the times when everything looks like it's about to fall apart, I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to find my peace in him. Family, when everything is falling apart in life, when it seems like everything is just not going the way you want it to go, do you rush to try to control the situation and run in to all power in your hands to hold it together? Or do you trust the one who was sleeping on the boat when everything was falling apart? Do you trust the one who truly has all power in his hand? The one that even the disciples were kind of blown away. They said, even the very winds listen to this man. He has all power in his hand. Will you be found like Peter sleeping when the situation looks bleak? And, and it must have been a good sleep. Like, it must have been, Peter was sleep sleep. Like, he had drool coming out of his mouth. The way I, reason I could say that is look at verses 7. Through 11, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke up and, and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angels told him. And put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him. And follow, my, follow me. So he went out and followed. And he did not know that what the angel that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter was still asleep. Yeah. Uh, Crystal laughs about it when I wake up in the middle of the night and if I'm in a, like, I don't get many nights of deep sleep, but when I'm in a night of deep sleep, I'd be like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm, I got you. This is what Peter looked like. He's stumbling around. Yeah, I, okay, put my cloak on. Okay. And the angel tell him, look, put your shoes on. Put your cloak on. Peter is in a deep sleep. Resting in the Lord. And after they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gates that led into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Now, 
they, he was still walking and still thinking this was a vision. He was still going, thinking he was still asleep. It wasn't until like verse 11, after they have already gotten to the city, it says, when Peter came to himself, he woke up out of the situation. It brings a new meaning to when he says he's a God who hears your cries in the midnight hour. This brings new meaning to it. This is a God who literally brought him out of the situation while he was still sleeping. And his declaration is, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. See, Peter understood Listen, I can either try to control the situation, I can either try to fight against the situation, or I can look to the one who's truly in control. I can sleep and rest in the one who's fully in control. That's why when Peter was writing to the suffering church in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, he was so, it, was, it was easy for him to say, who then will harm you? If you are devoted to what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter said, you can now rest in him. And when people tell you you're crazy for trusting in him, he said, I could, tell, I could say from experience, my God is good. He's a, a deliverer. He is the one who truly empowers. He is the one who takes care of his people because I have experienced it. Church, if you are in Christ, you are someone who has experienced this Lord who takes care of you even when everything seems to be out of control, when everything seems to be falling apart, when everything seems to be going the wrong way. You can rest in him. You can rest in him. And when people look at you and say, why do you trust this king? You can say with confidence. Because this king is the one who empowers. He's the one who truly has all power in his hand. He is the one who truly has wrapped everything in his hand. and has a destined plan for me. And for all who trust in him. So as Peter is running back, he's just woken up and he's like, okay, I'm in the city. He had to go tell somebody what happened. He ran to the house of Mary. And in verses 12 through 17, it says, as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark. Now, this wasn't the same John who had got beheaded. But this was John, John Mark. So everybody, you know, everybody got similar names. There's another Peter, there's another James, there's another John. This was John Mark. So he went to his mother's house where many were assembled and they were still praying. They were still praying to the God that delivers, the one who's truly in power. And he knocked at the door and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate. Have you ever been surprised by God? Like, like those moments you pray, and you're like, wait a minute, he heard that? 
that's what happened. <laughs> that's happening right now. She's like, wait, we were just praying for Peter, and we saw him get locked up, and we saw what happened to him, but now he's standing here. She was, the poor girl just dropped everything and took off running. Peter's still outside, like, wait a minute. Let me in. And it's interesting that when she went to go tell the people that Peter was outside, their response was, you're out of your mind. Now, think about it. These are the same people who were praying for Peter. She's saying, the Lord has answered that prayer. And she said, nah. Why we do that, y'all? Why, why we be praying and when God answers our prayer, like, he, that, that, I must be tripping. I remember when I was praying for my truck. Some of y'all heard the story. I remember when we went to the dealership to buy the truck, I was like, sooner or later they're going to call me and tell me bring that back. Because I was like, there's no way God has done this. But he's a good God. That's what he does. He surprises, like, he listens to us. He listens to our prayers. And yes, sometimes the responses are not what we desire, but when they are what we desire, that should just blow us away. This God hears us. And when they're not what we desire, he is a God that comes in and comforts us. He draws near to us. So, they finally believed him, and Peter just kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, he, they were amazed. And they, he motioned to his hand and said, hey, stay quiet, come in. And he said, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Like literally, go tell the testimony that God is listening to his people. Go and tell the rest of the brothers that God is listening to his people. I'm telling you today, God is listening to his people. When I was talking with that brother from Uganda earlier this week, he said the reason we asked for prayers is because we believe the reason that the Sudan government was thrown or overthrown wasn't because we rose up to power, but because we was praying to the one that had power. He said, that's why I keep telling y'all, pray for us. Pray that the gospel advance. Pray for us. And family, I can tell you today, that's why I keep telling us, pray that the gospel will advance in Eau Claire. Pray that the gospel will advance in Columbia. Pray that the gospel will advance in South Carolina. Pray. Because he hears his people. He hears our prayers. And when he hears our prayers, we could go tell others, listen, this is what we've been praying, and this is how the Lord has been answering. One way we were praying before we even start having service over here, we would be somewhere in the neighborhood. And you want to know what? Four months later, guess what? The Lord answered. He answered in the way of Belmont. It was, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. When the email came and she said, we want to start that conversation up, I was surprised because I thought that was completely off the table. But that's what we were praying for. So when we're praying for people and prayer walking in the neighborhood, we shouldn't be surprised the Lord answers. So when we start seeing people who are addicted now become stable husbands and wives, when we start seeing people who were impoverished start to have full-time jobs, even start businesses, this is because the Lord hears our prayers. When we start praying for families to be knit together and tightly bound together and the husband and wife who are fighting and about to face a divorce and they come together and say, our marriage is better than ever. This is the Lord we serve. 
See, this is the God that empowers. He says, all power is in my hand. I reign over heaven and earth. The governments will sit on my shoulders. The world will sit on my shoulders. I am a just God. And I am quick to deliver and respond to my people. But now let me tell you about this unjust God, this unjust king. Going back into our text, and we're going to land the plane here. Verses 18 through 19, it says, at daylight, at daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. This unjust king was like, Y'all have offended me. What I have commanded has not gone forth. That means somebody's blood has to pay. And the ones who were guarding the gates, he said, your blood must pay. He was doing this to try to stay in power, to consolidate his power. He didn't want nobody to judge his power. It's a terrible king. This is a terrible king. And this is the kings of our world. This is the justice of our world. Because all, you and me, have all messed up and somebody must pay. You and me both all stand on a condemnation. Somebody has to die. But see, there's a better king. There's a greater king. There's a king who empowers his people. He says, yes, you have messed up. You have messed up and somebody has to pay. But that king stepped down and said, I'll take it. See, this is why King Jesus is better than King Herod. Because King Herod says, you messed up, you pay up. Yet King Jesus says, you messed up, but I'll pay up. I'll wash away that payment, that debt you owe. I'll step down from the seat of judgment and take on the execution myself. That is what he did when he went to the cross. Unlike King Herod, that after he executed his men, he left and went back to his land. The God of this world, our God, the one who empowers, he says he left his throne of heaven and actually stepped down to the ones who messed up. He came into our world. He saw us in our desperate need, knowing that we were unable to pay the cost, pay the debt that we had made, and he said, I'll take it. See, this is the king Herod was afraid of. This is the king Herod was afraid of because that king challenged his power. See, this is the king that we should be able to run to because Not only is he in power, but he empowers. (laughs) He says, you're mine. And since you're mine, now you're my representatives, and you get the full benefits that I get. That is the better key. Would we rather be people who run to the ones in power? Or would we rather run to the one who empowers gives of himself so that me and you who were once debtors can be known as children. That is the king that reaches out to us. 
Church, we shouldn't be right, fighting for power in this world. We shouldn't be fighting to be the greatest in the land. That's not our position. But the reason we don't have to fight for power, and here's my sticky note for today. We don't have to fight for power because we have a king who empowers who gave a promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you, that I will be with you, that I will, all authority and power is in my hands and you have access to it. That's the king we can look to. That's the king we can run to. And when we mess up, he doesn't say our life is on the line. He says, no, I paid for it. Is that the king you're trusting in today? Are you looking for an opportunity to just get power? to be known in this world, to be great in this world. If that's what you're looking for, let me tell you, it's futile. This world is falling apart. It offers nothing glorious. But the king who said he empowers, he's offering everything. Eternity itself. Will you turn to this king? Will you trust this king? You pray with me. Father, as I think about your global church and think about what you are doing in places like Colombia, Eau Claire, in places like Sudan, Ethiopia, Uganda, Kaji, Father, I am overwhelmed by the sense of that you are the king who continues to empower your people, even when persecution insists. When everything seems to fall apart, when we long to be in control, when we long to have power, you are the one who continues to empower. Father, I pray today that your church will live under this truth, not fighting to gain power, but longing to know the one who gives power more and more, to long to know you. For you lend power not for the sake of people, but for the sake of nations being changed, for all peoples being changed, communities being changed, for our neighbors to experience your presence through your people. Forgive us for the times when we have tried to hold all things together and we have tried to build our life on some sense of false truths, false power, false control. And I pray today that we continue to run to you and build our life on you, just trusting you, sleep and resting you when things seem to be falling apart. So Lord, we lay this at your feet today, saying, use this in our hearts. Edify your saints and build us up for your for the upbuilding of your kingdom. And use us as we prepare to leave this place. In your wonderful son, Jesus' name we pray.